Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers. Welcome to uh, Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, um, the uh, podcast for embedded Linux developers. Uh, my name is Maciej Halas. I'm uh, uh, one of the product managers here with TimeSys. Uh, with me here I have uh, Gene Sally. Gene? Hi there. Um, Gene, I work in the uh, product uh, product group here at TimeSys, and I, I work on, on our webinars and some things that they like to call marketing, but <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, t- today we're going to talk about a little bit of embedded uh uh, embedded Linux uh, history. We're going to take a, a walk down, or more appropriately, a run down memory lane, because there's a lot of stuff there I really don't want to remember. And then we're going to talk about what what's going on today and what we see our customers doing uh, with embedded Linux. And and then we're going to guess a little bit uh, about what's going to about what we see coming down the pike. And one of the things I know we want to talk about. Um, this, uh, hopefully, you'll believe this, but we do pl- try to plan on our webinar. Um, our our, pod, our podcast, but we do want to talk about some of the issues with host and target convergence, and you know how people are starting to do uh, development on things that yeah. uh, no one would ever dream of doing development on before. Yep. yep. So uh, and, and that again uh, evolved uh, from you know five years ago yeah. till now, and surely it will keep on evolving. And uh, but what we'll try to do today is um, just talk, as Gene said, about. Um, History of um, Linux a bit, um, projects to be yeah. specific, and uh, then um, host and target convergence. Yeah. Well, one of the big things I guess when I think about the the five years ago, just a little bit of history for me is before I got involved uh, with Timesys, I I'd never done anything embedded Linux ever, and so it was it was something new to me. And uh, one of the things that we had to do here at Timesys is we wanted to make sure that our customers had you know tool chains. And um, I know that the work that I had done before with cross-compiling were writing uh, NLMs, Network Loadable Modules, and it never really popped into my head that you know, I was following pretty much an embedded developer's path. But uh, one of the things that sort of amazed me when you do NLM work is you got, this is, I'm now dating myself because this is way back in time, but you got a complete and ready tool set. Yeah, it was right, and I was on the other side of that, where I was actually getting the cross-compiler to compile, which was which was a, quite a dicey proposition at the time. Don't you love that time when uh, of what well, actually Linux two dot two and a toolchain that you never knew whether it's going to work or not? Oh, yeah. that that was oh, I hated that to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and we had, and what amazed me is that you didn't really think about this when when you did stuff, but we had a lot of developers that purposely, quite purposefully, did everything static. They compiled everything static because they could never really get the libraries to match up between yeah. their cross compiler and their target yeah. device, and so their defense mechanism for that was. Yeah. Get rid of them. Five years ago, to actually set up a host machine with all the right tool chains, uh, set up the uh, the entire build environment. If yeah. you wanted to rebuild the Linux kernel, that that involved a lot of uh, work and a lot of engineering time, and uh, the outcome was really unpredictable. Yeah. Um, uh, more than that, if you had a, a team that was really distributed across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you, you had to also face challenges of how do you take that build environment from your host machine and transfer that to uh, to another um, well facility, um, and uh, there were always challenges around those tool chains, always challenges around building new programs, um, mm-hmm. and as you said, matching the right set of libraries and all that. Yeah, it was just sort of like blocking and tackling that really got really got you. And I mean, too, the other the other thing that we always got tripped up over earlier is that in Linux, 
uh, not a lot of work had happened with respect to making the AutoMake and AutoConf scripts aware that they were even cross-compiling. Yep. So you would run across issues where, you know, they would have, you know, the, now it's less so. It's still a problem, but you would have issues where the, the, you didn't really have, never check the conf- config cache, and it would instead immediately try to compile something with the cross-compiler and run it on your current machine. And that was just... Uh, it almost made that kind of work impossible to do. We had, I know we had customers initially that would go through and they would have a, uh, and this is no uh, difference, but they would have a small power PC board and they would say, well, yeah, I know it takes my program all night to compile, uh, to configure, but it works. Yeah. And I, I've simply given up on ever getting that to work. Yeah. Five years ago, uh, not a lot of um, actual um, industry people were using Linux in their projects. And, uh, Part of the reason behind it was that there were not that many embedded platforms that were enabled by Linux. And um, to get Linux up and running on um, a new board, uh, well, required a, a lot of uh, knowledge around how, how to customize Linux. The code was, um, from a quality standpoint, in a completely different pl- space that it is um, today. Um, so... Well, again, as far as Linux kernel is concerned, five years ago, um, there were a lot of challenges and, and uh, that prevented people from even getting into this space. Oh, I agree. I know, uh, you know pre-2.4, the you know, Arch yeah. directory was the Wild West. <laughs> uh, it really was. And it was it was very difficult in an organized fashion to get all those changes aggregated and maintained. And, yeah, it was hard. Yeah, uh, not not mentioning writing device drivers for custom uh, devices, which, well, if you deal with uh, an embedded board, embedded system, embedded project, uh, is something that in most cases you can't avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, writing that under two dot two Linux kernel was really um, uh, a lot of a lot of job, a lot of work. Yeah, um, it was a good test of your patience <laughs> and your manager's patience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so let's talk about um, what what happened since then, because I think that um, between two two and uh, two four and now two six, it's a different uh, ballgame. Exactly. So uh, the the customers that that we um, see today are definitely. Um, a group of customers growing, and um, they come from various different um, industries. Um, Linux gets um, more and more popular with each day. Uh, you, you see new projects starting with Linux rather mm-hmm. than with other proprietary operating systems. So uh, Linux been, has gone through a long way. Yeah, and it, you see, too, the, the big rise of system-on-chips. Yeah. Um, and what that means is that in order for the... Well, not only, I mean, there's two things at the same time. First of all, it's the pool from the market for uh, for better Linux support, but you combine that with with the system on chip, and the the vendors really have no choice but to make sure that Linux is is decently supported. And you know that doesn't. You know, I know five years ago we spent time. You know, Northbridge and Southbridge were you know common words, right? And and now that's really something you don't hear about. I mean, a lot of those hardware problems have either been you know fixed and therefore exist in the kernel already, and they're just built upon. Or the company that makes the device is so concerned about Linux acceptance where they weren't before that they build in, or if if they don't submit to the open source community, they make available to their users you know patches and drivers for their particular system. Yeah. And given the architecture friendliness, it's a lot easier to publish those those changes without doing other massive patches somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, I agree that uh, responsibility for developing uh, what I would call an enablement code for a specific system on chip. Um, 
it, it is actually falling under under a, um, a semi that manufactures that um, that processor, and and they do recognize that today. Uh, I believe, uh, and they do have small teams that um, write that initial uh, Linux code that drives their um, hardware components. Yeah, uh, and that is crucial piece um, in getting uh, both the hardware to the market and, and, and then getting a, a successful Linux project on that hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, so companies like Semis, uh, specifically board vendors, do recognize the fact that Linux is a, um, a very important um, component in the go-to market strategy. Um, and they put uh, more resources, more efforts in, in getting a better quality, better um, features um, code um, for their system on chips. Yeah, and then back over in you know in user land territory, uh, uh, something like cross compiling or or targeting a, a system other than the one you're working on is something that's not as esoteric as it used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about Eclipse now has you know rudimentary cross compilation support built into it. Kdevelop has rudimentary cross compilation support in it. Um, things like uh, auto automake and autoconf i mean those utilities as well have a lot more cognizance built into them uh with respect to at least detecting that you're you're cross compiling yeah. um and you know as a result that's taken a lot of the risk out uh, once you at least get the kernel done i mean because before it was a fight to get the toolchain <laughs> and then and one of the benefits now is that because AutoMake and AutoConf are much friendlier, they now cross-compile a lot better. Yep, I um, agree. Today you can have uh, you can download so many tool chains um, that you can use right from the start, um, and you can focus on um, the value add uh, that that you want to develop uh, yeah. with a kernel from. Um, provided by another company, a root file system. Well, again, you have so many options today uh, for the root file system, right? You can construct a small footprint root file system. Um, you can construct the NFS mountable root file system and, and different compression formats available to people. That, that puts a lot of tools uh, in um, engineers' hands yeah. so that they can really make use uh, uh, out of Linux. Yeah, and the busy boss UC Libsy has really taken off like a shot as well. Yeah, uh, you know, I know initially when you know BusyBox, this project's been around for oh my goodness, like forever. No, it's been around <laughs> for a while. But, uh, uh, but in terms of the, the the support it has, I mean, it was a minimally viable root file system replacement, and now it's it's reasonable for you to have a desktop system that's running BusyBox, uh, and then you pair that with UC Libsy. And that gets rid of a lot of the the space issues. You know, I I have a lot of customers now that are uh, the, that I work with that are completely totally satisfied with uh, with what BusyBox applies. They pare it down a little bit, but because the way BusyBox is done, you know, you could cut it in half, and you know, half of something not very big yeah. is still not very big. So people, are, you just will just that, include everything. That, that just actually shows um, how important to people is um, the uh, size of uh, the Linux solution that they work with. Yeah. A- a- and you know whether you work with a, a, a desktop-like solution or, or very uh, small, very embedded uh, design. Mm-hmm. Well, BusyBox can come in very handy, and, and, and it's very easy to work with, very easy to configure, very very easy to build upon. Yeah. Um, so you know, and, and a lot of companies they have um, a person that is responsible for building a, a basic root file system, and then they hand off that uh, basic design to application developers, mm-hmm. who then 
um, add their uh, new software libraries, utilities, applications on top of it. A- and working again with BCBox um, is one of the one of the options. Yeah, and I've seen too recently a, uh, a very fast adoption of um, uh, well, I think it was called TinyX. It was called TinyX for so long yeah, I can't yeah. remember its real name. Uh, since, since that's now been molded, you know, folded into the the standard X, X distribution. Yes. Um, so it's re- you know it's reasonable for you to get a machine that has you know eight meg on it and run uh, an X Windows. And, and you know a lot of that a lot of that groundwork came out of say, some of the Linux based PDAs hmm. um, because you know, they'll use the same window managers uh, uh, that you know how to deal with input devices and our keyboards, and um, they're tuned to work with small real estate. Yep. And it's really been amazing in that respect, because uh, I know, you know, if I see what's you know happened before, is Linux, a lot of time was used for I'm making quotes with my fingers, you know, headless devices. Yeah. And now it's really reasonable to see a device with a, you know, with a reasonable UI on it. Yeah. Uh, and a stylus and whatever else. That's actually a very very good point, Gene, because um, the uh, devices that we deal with today are well fairly um, advanced and compared to the, the ones from five years ago and it, it, it's very um, normal today to to work with a system on chip or a reference board that uh, has a small footprint I mean the, the processor itself but it also has an LCD device of some sorts got a, a, a touch screen um, and uh, that um, when, when you work with Linux on that board, uh, the question is, what are the packages, what are the utilities that uh, are available to a developer that um, can help design the solution that will take advantage of all the components on, on that platform? And, and today, as you said, TinyX is one of the examples of um, packages that developers um, th- that is available to developers that um, can help out in designing a, a, a small footprint, um, yet very functional uh, graphic UI, Um, but there are are more of those uh, packages today. Um, There is, well, actually, Micro Windows is is probably a fairly old one, but there there is a number of commercial um, packages that are available. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I would um, point to a specific one, but there there are options, which, again, is a a proof that... um, um, Linux is considered to be a very strong um, option when it comes down to selecting an operating system for a new project. Yeah. Well, the other thing I've noticed too is, you know, seeing the trends I see now is um, a lot more, a lot more engineers are conceptualizing their target more like a remote Linux host. Uh, so they're getting a lot more comfortable with the idea that they don't have to build, you know, the entire installable image. <laughs> Yeah. Every time, we, and I'm going to knock that because that was a totally reasonable approach. Uh, uh, you know, but I mean, now so, it's really nice to see people that you know work on an embedded target like it's a remote host, and they'll download just their program and they'll let it up and running. And a lot of that's to come to the fact is, is that the target machines are now substantially more powerful. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, not relative to a desktop machine, but um, but relative to where they were five years ago, yeah. uh, it's it's totally reasonable to have a machine that has you know. Eight meg of memory on it, which for an embedded device, it's a phenomenal amount of memory. So it you can run a an SSH on it and just transfer it on your program, and and that could be your development board, and it's reasonable enough. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I was you know at a, a customer uh, I was working with in um, Omaha, and um, and you know if you're 
this is we're recording this in February, but but Omaha got you know tons of snow, and I was uh, chiding because we got tons tons of snow here. And we yep. can ski, and he's in Omaha, and it's flat as a tabletop there. So there's, there's none of the advantages that yeah. we have. But um, he uh, he was looking at minimizing the amount of memory on his system, and the difference between a four meg uh, and an eight meg, you know, in terms of the, the sim and the components, was nearly nothing. I mean, it was literally cents. Hmm. So. Um, so it's very. We have customers out there and users out there that you know, are really working with machines that they're beginning to view almost as, you know, not as desktop machines, but but viewing them as being able to run a lot of the things they would otherwise stick on a on a desktop anyway. Yeah. And a lot of them for the convenience of the developer. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess that that takes us also to a topic of processes because um, the way you were developing applications five years ago has changed. Over time, and uh, today, um, debugging an um, application on a target, um, y- y- again, have several options. Um, you can use a cross debuggers. You can use several hardware debuggers um, that are connected to the to the embedded board directly. There are tools that are based on Eclipse technology that come in very handy. That um, um, help in putting in place uh, the entire development process for um, embedded uh, platform. Yeah, and, and that that is adding um, to well developers' experience because they they are not concerned today that much about um, what it takes to set up a a debug session um, if they work with um, certain processes um, if they for example, select to use a GDB server. It's um, there are different ways in which you can um, facilitate the entire um, well debug session and uh, well uh, the the process they experience. Yeah, and one of the nice things that's a good point because one of the nice things that's happening now is not only is cross compiling toolchains easier, but it's easier to natively compile one as well. Hmm. And so there are customers out there that you know may run the same pot of C code using the same version of um, their you know C library on their host machine, and it's reasonable for them to model out something on their host machine, and because they know they can get the same library uh, on the target machine, uh, sometimes people are doing a lot more uh, testing and work and modeling right on their host, yeah. and instead of trying to go to the, go to the target and, and try to then remote debug it, and uh, which is you know, no matter how good your remote debugger is. Yeah. It's always a remote debugger, right? Right. Uh, so there's, there's all kinds of the, yeah. there's all kinds of problems that come in that territory. Yeah, you, you have probably a limited number of embedded platforms that you can work with, and you have several developers that work on pieces of software that go on top of that. So yeah. um, if if you debug uh, your application, you don't want to be um, hauled back by, by another engineer that is um, that reserved the board or, or something, and um, yeah, you have to wait until you know that board. Is available to you again? Oh yeah, yeah. It really does speed things. Yeah, because even here at Typus, we have lots of you know more boards than you can you can imagine, and it always seems like there's never enough yeah. for everyone. That <laughs> so, um, and I can only imagine that that problem is only more so at a commercial. I was at a customer first in California, and it was the same thing. I mean, you had engineers that were doing maintenance work, um, you know, trying to you know fix bugs and whatever else, and they had trouble getting boards to do their testing on. It was just it was just difficult for them to do, and, and they were uh, one of the things they were kind of thrilled about is they could reasonably do a good job of knowing whether the software would work and at least finding defects on something similar to 
you know, because they could get an environment that was close enough, they could believe yeah. what they were seeing. And they yeah, and, the, and a lot of a lot of applications really don't care about the architecture that um, you uh, that you run on, right? So mm -hmm. you can you can build a, a specific application and, and run it on x86. Um, well, and then cross compile it um, for for your platform, and yeah. then um, just run some sort of regression testing whenever you get a hold of a, of a target platform. But uh, I agree with you one hundred percent that um, the uh, the value of uh, uh, host-based development testing um, quality assurance um, has um, risen a lot. Yeah, and that's one of the things. I, maybe this maybe this actually was a good segue. So, but, yeah. but I know one of the things we want to do, talk about was some of this host thing. We've been hitting on this host and target convergence, but as much as we're talking about people that model and run, let's say, on their x86 uh, machine, or if, if they're lucky, they're you know, I guess it's still x86 if they have a Mac OS. Uh, Let's <laughs> um, not go there. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, for the fortunate few. So, but but the other folks that are doing work, uh, we, we've also seen a decent set of people that simply do all their work right on the target. Um, and I, I first saw this with some of the the higher end uh, 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 power PC boards. Yeah. And the user would say, "Hey, you know, nuts on the cross compiling. Yeah. It's interesting. Thank you. Uh, but I'm just going to do my development right here on the board." Yeah. And you know it's reasonable fast enough. I can run make an Emacs and uh, you know my compiler, and I have you know 64 meg here. And uh, a matter of fact, because I have a uh, uh, one of those uh, serial ATA drives, it's faster than my desktop for compile sometimes. And yep. uh, that's also a trend that that's coming well, out there. So I would say that if you have a powerful enough platform that uh, you know can handle the compilation fairly fast. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to share that board with uh, too many engineers on your team. Mm -hmm. That's a perfectly good solution because while well, building natively uh, was always uh, a better approach, right? Or well, let me put it this way: less complex. Uh, you didn't have to worry about the cross-compilation issues. Mm -hmm. um, but again, if 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 you have that luxury of having a, a fast board and um, having it sitting close to your desk, and if you can take advantage of it? Absolutely. Um, and um, power PCs are probably in, in, uh, in that area, I mean, of boards that are powerful enough to um, um, provide end users with good um, native compilation experience. Yeah, I was, well, I was humored to know it, because what, what he would do is, this guy, yeah. this particular customer, is they would have their power PC board, and they'd, he'd, you know, SSH in, and then he'd say, you know, export display, <laughs> And he'd, he'd export the display out to his, <laughs> and then he'd, he'd crack uh, out the a power PC, uh, power PC display. <laughs> yeah, so he'd export to this X, so export, and then he'd set up his, you know, his whatever desktop machine. Yep. And then you know, of course, you know, once you start Emacs, what else do you need yeah, to start? Uh, exactly. So he would open up a shell in his editor and do his makes, and yeah. he he was uh, amazingly productive that way. And but I've seen a lot of other customers take pretty much the same route now, you know, with little. Um, uh, little x86, well, they're little, but then the mini ATX sort of boards. Mm -hmm. Because that's another thing that, I mean, the price point for those is $80, $90, 50 bucks if you get something low, uh, you know, low power, where low power was a desktop a couple years ago. Yep. And same thing, they, they'll plug it on their desk and yep. voila. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of um, ARM processors that are very popular on the market today. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, not all of the um, ARM solutions are. 
um, powerful enough to provide you with a good native um, compilation experience. Yeah. So. Um, uh, my experience with customers in that space uh, was always that they were choosing the cross compilation and host machine um, and um, for a number of them um, they were actually building an application that was architecture independent but yeah. uh, for those that were building architecture dependent um, code um, they, they had to go through that process of getting you know a, a cross compiled application um, uploaded it to a target uh, and then they were in the process of cross debugging it again their experience um, as they described it to me uh, was um, um, what I would call kind of like a, a good experience in compared to what I what I've experienced in the past mm -hmm. um, um, the questions that um, people raise um, today in, mm -hmm. in, in, in that process is uh, why is it taking so long? But yeah. <laughs> as yeah, long yeah. as uh, the, the process itself and, uh, and um, um, the ease of getting through that process is concerned, and there, are, there are a lot of improvements. Yeah, I know one, one, of the other, um, uh, one, one of the other points I wanted to bring up was you know the people that do the development native on their board, one of the things and I don't mean this to be a shameless plug for whatever. One of the things they really like for uh, about the tool chains they got from from us is that when we built them, we built them all against the same sources. Yeah. Because what their manager what they they get in these things with their managers and managers like, well, it has to build in the build system and this mumble mumble on and on. And one of the nifty things that they liked is that they could take their source code and they could build it against a cross compiler that they knew. Was cross you know, it was built against the same sources what they're running natively. Mm -hmm. So for them, it was like, oh, fantastic! I can do my work right on the board, yeah. And I can, I have 100 percent confidence that when I have a cross compiled, I'm still going to get the same thing. Yeah, that was a good uh, call on our end to to basically yeah. use the same uh, set of sources for all different compilers that we provide for different platforms. Yeah. So I, I know I, we're getting the 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 we're getting this the hand signal that we're running short on time, and. Um, uh, but I know we had a, a few things we wanted to talk about because we got a lot of we, more than I expected actually people uh, email us at podcast at timesys.com and um, so if you have any questions or comments or you want to tell us that we bore the death out of you for half an hour or you want to know something about Linux you know, just uh, drop us a line podcast at timesys.com uh, also uh, if, I, if you don't mind uh, uh, if you have any um, ideas or if you would like to um hear about specific topics, please let us know. We are very much open to um, to uh, what you would like to hear about, and we will do all we can to um, put together a podcast that, that would interest you the most. Yeah, it really is at this point. I mean, as much as I... This is kind of fun for me to do, right? But if it's not a value to the listener, yeah. or, or we're not addressing things that you as a listener are interested in, you know, just you know, tell us, and we most certainly will. So on that note, we actually got several questions, right, yeah, I we, believe? Yeah, we got put one of them we talked about a little bit. This is from Amit. And um, he was really focused on root file system minimization. Uh, um, and okay. uh, I, I know a little bit back and forth, but I, I, when we talked about this when we were getting getting prepped for these meetings, we thought, we thought it was like, wow, we should probably just make a podcast on one of those. Um, but in general, there's you know a lot of different strategies. I know we talked about some of them during during this, and that was you know use a small uh, library, you know, use something like BusyBox. But then at the same time, also you know look at different file systems yeah. that will compress uh, your data. 
I, I agree with you. We can talk probably about um, root file system, different types of root file systems, and uh, customer selection experiences for several hours. Yeah. Um, but um, in general, what we observe is a, a busy box based solutions where, where you select just a handful of packages that are really important to your mm-hmm. um, solution. And then you try to minimize not only a root file system, but also. Um, you, you want to remove um, unneeded device drivers from your kernel just so yeah. that you you really work with all components that are well yeah. small well I, I know there's I know we have two separate webinars about that we have one webinars one's about small systems you know small things uh, uh, for your know, root file system land mm-hmm. and another one is about minimizing your root file system and, and different you know approaches. And it also covers all the different file systems that are out there and how they can you can use those in order to get a, a substantially smaller root file system by getting rid of things uh, that you wouldn't otherwise be using. Um, yeah. uh, so. so if that's not, I guess, enough of answer, um, we would like to invite the person that asked this question to... Um, to our future podcast on wood file systems, so stay tuned. Yeah, hopefully we'll hit it right for that. I mean, if, uh, um, you're, you're, but that's a great thing. Yeah, the second question that we got was from Steve, I believe, and uh, Steve's question was, where can I get boards for my project? Uh, well, depending on the type of board that um, you would like to work with mm-hmm. and, um, well, your budget, um and uh, your specific needs, you can probably get boards from um, semis directly. Uh, they do sell reference boards. Um, you can uh, try and get boards from um, a, a, a channel uh, sales. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of companies here in the U.S., and, and there are a lot of companies around the world that, um, uh, well, basically uh, serve as a sales channel to uh, different uh, semi-vendors and board vendors. You can also get boards directly from board vendors. Um, as far as um, uh, types of boards, well, um, in Linux Link you can find, uh, or LLDN, Linux Link Developer Network, you can find description of boards that uh, we work with, uh, mm-hmm. a bit more info on um, peripherals that you can find on, on, on those boards. Um, but we'll have podcasts as well about new boards that we introduce. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll spend a bit more time uh, talking about uh, details of new boards. Yeah, searching, just you know, go to your search, your favorite search engine, and search for a mini ITX. Uh, and you'll, that'll turn up a lot of, a lot of boards. Yeah. That, you know, small x86 based, you know, 686x86 based boards that, you know, Pentium 2s, 3s are fantastic for embedded development. Um, and there are also, uh, we, in general, don't try to mention things by brand name, but there are also some small ARM boards as well, uh, you know, that are, you know, the size of uh, um, PDA. You know, a, yeah, a small calculator. Smaller, yeah. And, you know, they'll have an interface on them for um, for the network and USB. And those are, I mean, they, they'll start up and they're perfectly fine. Uh, yep. They're perfectly fine things to experiment with. And you can get those for under $100 as well. Yeah. Uh, but I know the mini ITX boards is that if you scan around, if you want to live with a 586 board if, to experiment with, I mean, that's a. Yeah, I agree with you. Very expensive proposition. I agree with you that starting with, if you can start with an x86 platform, that, that that's by far the most 
economic uh, approach oh, to, I agree. to just have a, the first experience of, with a motherboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but otherwise, it's you know, get in touch with a with a company that really does embedded development. Yeah. Uh, I, I know one of our partners, Atmel, does a lot of you know design work. They'll help a customer. Uh, I mean, they may have a development board, uh, which is you know the everything plus the kitchen sink and a bathroom sink and you know more than you can imagine. But they'll also help you make a custom board uh, as well, so you can have uh, you know through the, whatever sort of resellers that they have. But I mean, they'll help you figure out you know, what you need in order to have a uh, exactly what you're looking for if you're going the high high volume route. Um, low value, you know, low volume route. There's probably uh, some other things for you to choose from. To get started with. Uh, so I think that's I think that's what we wanted to cover uh, yep. for today. I think are we all wrapped up. Uh, I think so. I, I don't think that uh, we have any more time left. Uh, I see here like uh, signals that we are reaching our time limit. Yeah. What What does finger cross the neck mean? <laughs> back and forth. Who's that? I'm not exactly sure what that means. So. Um, but we, I know our next episode, we're going to start talking about getting a host environment set up. And we have a lot of, I mean, it's one of the first things people do, uh, right? So they get Linux and they figure, oh, I'm going to get my host yep. environment set up and up and running. And then, well, sometimes they run into problems. And uh, so we're going to talk about some of the, the problems you run across and how to fix them. A lot of them are along the lines of system administration issues. I mean, yep. it, really, what they, uh, really what they would boil down to um, uh, but at the same time, uh, we can you know, talk to you about environments that we know are very successful for users. And you know, if you're going to get something like that set up, what's the least amount of effort uh, in order for you to get a board up and running? Yep. So uh, thank you for very much for your attention today. Uh, we're looking forward to um, uh, well reaching you out with our next podcast uh, in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, um, if you have any questions or comments or any kind of feedback, uh, please um, contact us um, at podcast at timesys.com. Visit our website. Um, send us uh, your questions, comments, um, and we, we're here to uh, provide the best answers we can. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks and see you again. This podcast is brought to you by Timesys. Check out our new site to get free code, discuss, and learn about embedded Linux development. Go to timesys.com today.